The following content could in fact be explicit, contain moments of explicitity, flex of explicature, trace elements of explication. Actually, that last one's a goal. It's Thursday, May 26th, 2022. From Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Three days after Uvalde, 12 days after Buffalo, and there may be some, if not movement, uh, discussion of movement in the U.S. Senate. Voices from senators to citizens to NBA coaches have weighed in with their frustration and deep anguish over these shootings. Also weighing in are the voices who do not want to change, who will try to convince you that they know that the so-called gun reforms are no such things. Public officials say Senator Marco Rubio. If people want to talk about banning specific guns, they should propose that, but it wouldn't prevent these shootings. No, but it may well lessen the death toll. That's the bar I'm trying to clear. And here is Rubio's colleague, Senator Ted Cruz's solution, more money for locked doors. And have that one door armed police officers at that door. If that had happened, if those federal grants had gone to this school, when that psychopath arrived, the armed police officers could have taken him out and we'd have 19 children and two teachers still alive. We need to do something, but it's not empty political posturing. It's acting and acting strongly to keep our kids safe. In fact, there was a security officer there. Texas Department of Public Safety Director Steve McCraw said on Wednesday that a school security officer exchanged gunfire with the killer. Then officials walked that account back. So we weren't exactly sure what the armed security officer who was in the school actually did. We know for certain, or at least it's not contradicted, that two police officers did shoot at the assailant. Then they got shot. They weren't killed. But it does turn out that when armed police officers trade gunfire with armed assailants, that it's not always the assailants who are stopped. Ted Cruz has not corrected or clarified his remarks. Next, we move on to Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And we need to realize that, that people who think that, well, maybe we just implement tougher gun laws, it's going to solve it. Chicago and L.A. and New York disproved that thesis. And so if you're looking for a real solution, Chicago teaches that what you're talking about is not a real solution. Our job is to come up with real solutions that we can implement. Well, speaking for my city, New York City, New York City, a city of 8.3 million, has had 163 murders this year. Houston, a Texas city, reports 173 murders this year in a city of 2.3 million people. About a quarter of the size. Dallas had 80 murders, that's half as much as New York, but New York City has six times as many people. Fort Worth had 118 murders last year. City of under 900,000 people, more than twice the homicide rate of New York City. New York is so much safer than big Texas cities, smaller ones too. The gun murder rate is lower in New York City than it is in Amarillo, Beaumont, Corpus Christi, Longview, Odessa, San Antonio, Texarkana, some of which is in Arkansas, Victoria, Waco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston. At least I didn't even get into a lot of the smaller cities and towns. This state gun homicide rate in Texas, according to the CDC, is 14.2. In New York City, it really spiked from the last couple of years, and now it's at 5.5. So there are some politicians who are offering policy prescriptions that are entirely dismissive of possible solutions and relying on factual analysis that just isn't. 
There are some hard choices here. There are some policies that I know will be impossible to enact. For instance, even though I can offer these corrections to Abbott's inaccuracies about New York City and its relatively effective gun laws, I can't really say that Texas should adopt them. It would be great if they did, but it really does seem impossible. It is a democracy, and the people do not want New York's gun laws. The state has millions and easily tens of millions of guns, so you just can't put that particular devil back to hell. You can, if you're the leader of the state, avoid lying, or as I suspect, not even consciously lying, but just reaching for a talking point which you're never held to account for. To some extent, I'm sublimating my anger. Bad arguments are not actually what's causing gun deaths. Bad arguments just buttress bad policies, which can't be justified, not with honest justifications. So you wind up advocating locking the door, and hoping that shuts out the problem. On the show today, in the spiel, bet you didn't expect that, no matter what that was. You know, Republican Liz Cheney being the bravest truth-teller in the party, Chippendale Rescue Rangers being one of the best-reviewed movies of the year. And in celebration of all that, which you didn't expect, let's just say there was a podcast, had a spiel, and bingo was its name. Oh, but first... I've been a fan of the Canadian band Arkells for a while now. I guess you could say it's been years in the making. I saw them play in New York City last week. It was a glorious union between rock band and rock band audience. And they are in Chicago tonight, Detroit tomorrow. And they play their hometown of Hamilton, Ontario in a huge show in less than a month. Lead singer Max Kerman of Arkells joins me next. know the band Arkells, you're one of two things, either up on your energetic, well-written, excellently sung indie music or be Canadian. The lead singer of Arkells, Max Kerman, is here. Uh, he's actually, by the time you hear this, he'll have passed through New York playing Irving Plaza. It all leads up in June to a big thing they do in their native Hamilton. Uh, the rally 
We'll talk about that. Max, thanks for coming on The Gist. Hey, I'm a big fan of the program, so this I is an I know honor. you are, yes. I listen every night before I go to bed. Does that help you go to bed? It literally, no, honestly, it, you're part of my sleeping routine. And it is weird for people to know that. You're like, you want this like ranting, half Italian, half Jewish New Yorker, uh -huh. like yelling in your earbuds. But honestly, that's how I fall asleep every night. Has content ever inspired a song? No, but I will say the episodes I have avoided is when you're singing. Yeah, I'm like, I smart. Will <laughs> what if that just like miscalibrated your yeah. internal mechanism and you couldn't sing? Or I sing like sing. Me. <laughs> That's right. There's a word I want to ask you that is often associated with your music and you don't run away from it. But I think it's changed since I've been listening to rock music. Anthemic. Mm. Do doesn't that word apply? Don't you see people saying, you know, the Arkells have a lot of anthemic music you play with, not fun, Bleachers, right? Yeah. Which is the the band that Jack, yeah. what's his last name? Jack Antonoff. Jack Antonoff. They're anthemic also. Mm. What do you think people mean when they, I think they used to mean just any kind of rock anthem is like yeah. Home Sweet Home by by uh, Motley Crue or something. Mm. But now I think it means, well, you tell me what you think it means and then I'll give you my opinion if you like that label. I think, uh, I, I, I don't dislike the label. I think it just means it's an artist that like leans into the sing-along. And I think one of my, I, I think one of the early realizations of like wanting to really be in a band is we were playing one of our, on our first tour, we were in Thunder Bay. And if you look at a map, Thunder Bay is like 24 hour drive from Hamilton. Yeah. It's, or maybe 19 hours. It's a very far, far drive. You can say uh, it in kilometers. Yeah. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know how many kilometers. <laughs> and we're just in a room full of people that we did not know. There's maybe like 150 people there. And they're all singing along to like our song. It's called John Lennon. And I was like, this is the, this has to be the coolest thing ever that we are somewhere so far away from home. I don't recognize anybody in the crowd. It's not my roommate or my cousin or my parents, which were all the local shows we were doing at the time. There's a room full of strangers all singing along to it. And the coolest thing is when you like, you know, just put your mic out to the crowd and they sing it for you. What like what beats? And they still pay you the full amount. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm doing half the work. So I so I do think a big part of our show is this sort of communal thing where it's just like very interactive. And I think like, you know, Springsteen's the best at that, right? You yeah. know, I think he's, but even like Taylor Swift is amazing at that, right? Like yeah. these artists that like want to make the show not just about themselves and the performers on stage, but it's like, how are you connecting with people in the crowd? Like, cause if, and I, and I tell the crowd this at, at our shows, it's like, this show kind of only works if you're trying as hard as I'm trying. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like, it's most fun if everybody like leans into it and that includes sing along to the song. So that is a great answer. Sing along is key. You know what else I think is key is snare drums. I think there's oh, a lot of snare drum yeah. in anthems and that yeah. which is anth well, born in the USA. Dun -dun. Born in there's a snare drum in there. Yeah. I also think that the idea of starting with a verse that establishes a song and maybe a chorus fully orchestrated, and then you do the stripped down version. And that could be on the recorded version of it or just live where you take everything out and it's you and the audience and your voices. Yeah. That makes it anthemic. Totally. Well, you know, it's funny. So we have this new song, Past Life, that just came out with Cold War. I really it's, like it. Thank you. Yeah. We're, and um, it was a really... Uh, interesting process of writing that song because as i said we want more voices on the album we reached out to nathan from cold war kids who's one of our favorite singers and one of our favorite bands asked him if he'd want to participate he said yeah send along whatever you got so the first verse i mentioned one of the greatest sing-alongs of all time one headlight 
by the wallflower. Well, you make this oblique reference to uh-huh. Dylan's son, right? Well, okay, well, here's the, I'll get there. Yeah. So I sing, I'm a little head, uh, again, again on the freeway underneath the night sky, I'm a little wallflower singing one headlight. And if you know one head, come on, try a little, yeah. nothing is for, so good. Me and Cinderella. Me and yeah, Cinderella. Yeah. So we, I write that first verse with the band and our producers, Tom and Ryan, s- leave the second verse empty. I send it to Nathan. Nathan responds. This is he's like, first of all, I love the Wallflowers, love that song, and I'm reading a bunch of Bob Dylan autobiographies. I'm kind of obsessed with Bob Dylan. This idea of shedding the past, of of, of being sick of a past life, wanting to live in the moment. That's something that I imagine Jacob Dylan probably wanted to to get out of the shadow of his uh, father. So so he wrote his whole verse in a reaction to that first verse. Awesome. And then when it got to the chorus, it's just like. Sometimes it's like the most dumb, repetitive thing that you just have to turn your brain off and go, what does your body want to do? Mm-hmm. So the chorus is, I'm, um, I'm sick of running from a past life. I don't care about the next one. Am I running from the moment or the city where I come from? Right now I'm feeling like a stranger. Don't recognize the voice inside my head. I'm sick of running from a past life. I want to live, I want to live, I want to live this one instead. But just the, it's like, well, how do I get to the hook? How do I get to the final thing that connects the whole song together? And that just, and the way you do it is by repeating it five times. Yeah. <laughs> I want to live, I want to live, I want to live this life instead. Yep. And that's how you got there. How many, I once did this thing, since you listen all the time, I took the AFI's greatest hundred movie quotes and how many of them are actually the greatest and how many of them are just repeated often through the movie and more than half are said more than two times in the movie. Like use the force and- um, uh, sure. Make him an offer he can't refuse, which is yeah. said a few times. Uh, it's like repetition mm-hmm. has the element of profundity. And I don't know, it could be a few things. Like the reason the artist decides to repeat it is because they know there's something there. Or the audience intuits, well, this is this piece of art I'm enjoying. If they keep saying this, it must be important. Or just how repetition works on the human body. Because, you know, we're responding to the vibrations at some to some extent. No, you know what? That's such a great observation. I'm going to lean into the third thing you just said. Um, so so I want to give a shout out to Tom Payton and Ryan Spraker, who are producers on this album. And we learned a lot. They're just sort of just amazing producer songwriters. And th- what they are um, excellent at is is identifying, does the, hear, does the ear want to hear that? Uh, is that an easy thing to listen to or is it hard? And if it's hard to hear it in, in the way you're phrasing something or in the way that a melody is interacting with the lyric or whatever it may be, then if it, if it's like sort of a little annoying, then just make it better, smooth it out. It's an editing process. So it's like what we're trying to do is like have the listener on a, on a sort of a very basic human like body level. Right. Uh, like respond to it in a positive way. And that's why... As you know, Paul Simon, the greats, won't just write lyrics that fit the music. The lyrics alone, I'm not going to say they're poetry, but they'll have musicality to it, right? So like, why deny the obvious child, right? It's not just different words that fit that meter. The words themselves will have assonance and so often yours will too. And, you know, these are... These are producers. Who, who are these? Uh, uh, Tom and Ryan. But they just have produced so much that they understand what makes a more pleasurable listening experience. Yeah, and there's an yeah. instinctive thing that, that kicks in because they've, they've done it so much. 
Isn't it weird though when there is the opposite of that in a great song? Like if you think about the lyrics to uh, Toto's Africa, uh-huh. there are weird lyrics that yeah. are way too long in that song. It's hard to rhyme Kilimanjaro, but maybe Tom and Ryan would yeah. say, don't try, move on, do something else. Yeah, yeah. and sometimes uh, when the thing is too obvious, you actually want, Uh, a surprise yes so sometimes the weird thing is actually the correct answer so it's like make it as easy for the listener as possible except when it needs to be weird Mm -hmm. and then lean into that have you ever changed lyrics retroactively um i know there are some famous so so they're out there they're on the album the fans know it and then you can either say well that's not good because it's maybe not appropriate the whole steady change there was this one lyric too they referenced a packy and they changed that in their song it could be because it's not true to the singer even if the singer's making uh talking about a character it's not true to him anymore which is the springsteen song i lost my money and i lost my wife to i lost my faith but then sometimes like you're just singing a song that you no longer even if it's a character maybe you no longer identify with. What do you do about that? <laughs> okay, the okay, this is sort of I feel like slightly embarrassed about this one. But um so I took political science in school. Um my dad who's a New York Jewish guy, social worker, runs a small business uh for mental health professionals. He has uh become very interested in the mental health services of the Cuban government because okay. it's actually uh, for his colleagues down there. They actually do an excellent job serving their community. Yeah. And so I took political science in school, sort of interested in these subjects, learned about Hugo Chavez. And when Hugo came to prominence, uh, his story, at least from what I was reading, the perspective was, oh, this is actually a really inspiring person. He was a sympathetic, I mean, depending on your politics, he was a heroic figure. He certainly cultivated that personality. And to a large extent, he was delivering these theretofore unimaginable um, amounts of services to his people. To his people, yeah. So I was like, oh, this is so amazing. And then I I started to learn about him. And part of his story is that he was in prison in the early 90s, and he spent two or three years in jail, mostly reading about Simon Bolivar and the different revolutionaries in Latin America. And this helped inform him uh, when he eventually took over the country. Right. And I was like, what an amazing story. Like what that little piece of history where it's like, this guy isn't just going to wallow. This guy's actually going to equip him, his brain and his learning and is going to develop a game plan to, to do the, to do this thing that will eventually become really important to the people of that country. I was like, I think that's such a cool thing. So we have a song called The Ballad of Hugo Chavez, which specifically is about that period of time when he's in jail. If you look at the lyrics about him reading up and and then before his eventual takeover. So I remember at the time thinking, this is a great story. This is awesome. In retrospect, you know, he kind of, if you talk to Venezuelans, and I've talked to some, they don't like him. No, he wound up immiserating them. And of course, playing on this public persona. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so we have this song, you know, most of the Canadians, I don't think anybody's really thinking about it, but I do feel a little sheepish about that, knowing the eventual outcome of it. <laughs> Like if you play the big uh, outdoor rally in Caracas, you might rethink that that <laughs> yeah, one, that yeah. particular one. Mm-hmm. It is weird to me to be like on the one hand, what you're doing is you're bringing to life uh, and embodying this piece of art that is from a specific time, the early, you know, maybe 10, 15 years earlier. And so that's all it was meant to be, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't change Shakespeare and we don't change Chekhov because it's not 
meant to be changed. On the other hand, you know, when you have a whole bunch of people singing something and then you as the author and the orchestrator of that might have misgivings, I don't know. It does seem to be a particular kind of challenge that I as a podcaster have never had to think about. (laughs) This is the last big thing I want to ask you about. Oh, I just want to admit, Past Life, the Cold War Kids uh, video, I'm like, you know, Nathan, I'm familiar with him. I think I know what a couple of the Cold War kids look like. I'm like, I didn't even realize that whoever it is, the the guitarist looked just like Will Forte, but it's actually Will Forte. It's Will Forte. <laughs> so the story there is kind of a fun one. So we, um, our, our manager, Ashley, was going to be in LA in early uh, March, I want to say, because she was being honored at the Billboard Women in Music Awards as one of the top executives of the year. I went down there with her and we're like, you know, if we're going to be in L.A., let's shoot uh, a video for for uh, for this song. Nathan lives in L.A. Our friend Matt Unsworth, he can direct the video. We can do it cheap and cheerful. Matt's got a 1972 Scout truck. I can drive around L.A. looking like a cool guy. The premise of the video will just be two sad, lonely guys singing this heartfelt song kind of at each other in a bar, karaoke. Very simple. Let's just bang it out. And so... Uh, we were thinking, what if we got Jacob Dylan to make a cameo in the video? Interesting. I think he lives in LA. I think so. Don't don't know him personally, but maybe that we know. Saw him on someone. Rogan. Okay. They never he someone. never asked him about his dad, which was a little well, bit of a I missed opportunity. No, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so we reached out and we couldn't get a hold of him. Really, if it was just like a cameo, it's like what if he played the valet or something? We flip him the keys yeah. for that one thing. Would he be a sport and do it? And again, an audacious ask on some level because the video is to be shot on the. Thursday, we had this thought on Monday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes. assume that Jacob Dylan would be like, yeah, sure, I'm free. I don't know who the fuck you are, but I'll show up. And I don't want to be featured in a song that references being Bob Dylan's son. Like <laughs> all these things don't actually make any sense. So uh, my other friend, he's a comedy writer. He, his name's Tim McAuliffe. He and Matt Unsworth are two Canadians that are comedy writers down there. And uh, he has worked on Jimmy Fallon show, The Office, Last Man on Earth, and MacGruber, among many other shows. So through Tim, I've gotten to know Will Forte a little bit. Uh, Will and his wife, Olivia, lovely, lovely people. I say on Tuesday, let's get together for dinner to honor Ashley, our manager, and just hang. They're they're in. So Tuesday night, we're at dinner. I'm explaining. We're trying to get fucking Jacob Dylan no dice. He's he's not picking up the phone. And I kind of half-jokingly go to Will. Will, you might have to make the cameo instead. Will goes, I'd love to do it. Just let me know when. Thursday? And I'm kind of like, what? (laughs) Ten minutes later. So when's the video again? Thursday? I'm there. And then we're leaving the dinner. Just let me know when. And by the way, for context, um, Will lives in the west side, Santa Monica. The video is being shot in Koreatown in downtown LA Mm -hmm. at 4 p.m., rush hour. Asking anybody in LA to drive from Santa Monica to Koreatown is insane. That's the equivalent of like, you know. Well, I'll I'll, I'll help our listeners. It's like from Hamilton to Thunder Bay. Hamilton to Thunder Bay, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, Will shows up. He's... uh, delighted to do whatever we ask of him and uh yeah and he's the best and and it really made the video a thousand times better max kerman is the lead singer of arkells they're touring now max thanks for coming in thanks so much
And now the spiel. Monkeypox. Did you have monkeypox on your bingo card? Well, if so, it's okay. Monkeypox can't be transmitted from surfaces. I think it takes exposure to the actual pustule. But even if monkeypox can't get you via the old bingo card, there are apparently a lot of things that can. Now, I will say losing 800,000 people in a year, I didn't have that one on my bingo card. Well, I think first, before we go there, who would have thunk that it would be Dan Quayle to save our democracy, uh, Lawrence? That was absolutely not on my bingo card at all. I did not have the Pope and the economy on my bingo card when I got up this morning. Many, many disavowals of what wasn't on people's bingo cards. They didn't have that on their bingo cards, which to me says that the grand prize is still out there. So let's spin the balls round and round and see what items are still in play. We'll go horizontally, vertically, diagonally, four corners. That counts too, as we pull out our bingo cards and play. All right. First up, let's pull this ball. Moldovan bread unrest. Moldova absorbing a lot of refugees, fleeing Ukraine, bread prices up. I see a lot of people nodding. They did, in fact, have this one on their bingo cards. Let's see what's up next. Oh, Sonia Sotomayor stabs Gorsuch. The normally even-tempered jurist pushed to the brink, flies across the room with a big pen, jabs it in the conservative Colorado's neck. Don't worry, just a flesh wound. He'll be back in a couple of days. And thanks to Gorsuch's own ruling in Perry v. Merit Systems Protection Board, he may not be able to seek injunctions above the district level. All right, let's see what next. See if you have it on your bingo card. Manatees explode from the sky over Edmond, Oklahoma. Don't know if it was some aquatic transport gone wrong, a very long-winded twister relocating the placid and beloved sea cow, but somehow manatees are raining down on the Sooner State. Anyone have that? Anyone? All right, here's the next one. Up next. Dumpster fire of dumpster fires. Oh, yes, of course. We all know you have dumpster fires, your free space in the middle of your card. But this is specifically when a collection of disused and discarded dumpsters intended for recycling actually catches fire within a larger dumpster containing them. The big one's about the size of a C-130 cargo plane. Again, We don't mean this is a dumpster fire to end all dumpster fires. No, the dumpster fire of dumpster fires is quite the opposite of that. Experts say the conflagration will not be extinguished for decades. Ah. Next up, you have this on your bingo card. Ooh, it's Madison, Wisconsin attacked by Mothra. Ah, Wisconsin's second largest city, home to its flagship university, beset by Mothra. Not sure if it's the actual Mothra or any kaiju of the genus Masura. We can accept, really, any attack in south-central Wisconsin by a flying insect larger than a bus. That all counts if you have that on your bingo card. As does Pat Sajak keels over on the Wheel of Fortune and dies. Oh, no. A contestant wanted to buy a vowel. Instead, 
The 75-year-old game show host bought the farm. Sorry to see you go like that, Pat. Maybe some of you guys had it on your bingo card. Let's see what's up next. Oh, here's a surprise. Pat Sajak has actually faked his own death. Did you have that on your bingo card? Wait, judges, does this undo the last one? It does not. We'll accept both. If you blotted your paper on the dead Pat Sajak, we'll accept it along with the alive Pat Sajak. All right, here we go. Round and round she goes where she stops. It's... Doug Mastriano believes in lizard people. Yes, the Pennsylvania gubernatorial nominee. He denied the election. He's suspicious of vaccines. And he thinks lizard people are behind much of our political travails. Ooh, looking out there. A lot of people actually had this one on their bingo card. Large cluster over there in the Philly suburbs. Okay, okay. Up next. Who has this on their bingo card? Democrats keep the House. Okay, no one, no one. Okay, no harm, no foul. Let's move along. Oh, Labradoodles cause cancer. How? I thought they sniff it out. They don't cause it. They're so cute. They're good-natured. I thought they were hypoallergenic. Wow. Wow, who really had that on their bingo card? Guess a couple people did. See them out there. See the bright eyes lighting up. We're getting closer. Someone actually having bingo. I can sense it. Let's see if anyone has this. Ginny Thomas is the mask singer. Bingo. And yes, there. Bingo. There. Bingo. Three, three bingos. Three bingos. We will get them all sorted out and confirmed. Let's say you are all winners. You get one of the big prizes. No, Jerry, I tell you this every week. Prizes do not include the sweet deliverance of death. (gasps) Don't know why you make that joke. Okay, fine, even if it's not a joke. All right, everyone now, get your bingo cards, your fresh bingo cards out. You'll be shocked at what's not on your bingo card. And if you are from anywhere in the Dane County area of Wisconsin, I will give you a few minutes to contact loved ones. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is The Gist senior producer. Michelle Pesca is before. Before you sign off on major purchases at Peachfish Productions, you'd better sign off with Michelle Pesca. Bingo! The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash thegist. Oomperu, jeeperu, dooperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>